Hi, we're Shannon and Jerry Arner. And our dog, Betty White. Your hosts of the Arner Adventures podcast. Could we have named it something more creative? Probably. But it's the name of our blog. It's our last name. We're on an adventure. Yada, yada, yada. After running our own business, working 24-7. And don't forget a mental breakdown in between. We made a lifestyle change and decided to make the most out of life. We sold our house, most of our belongings, downsized, and moved to the coast. We live life minimally, but fully. We live each day as an adventure. This show will help you learn how to live life more fully, with more intention, by experiencing more, and with less stuff. We'll talk about our own experiences, interview others who have much to share by creating a spark in our lives. Some days we'll share real life ongoings of what we're going through, and others will talk about our favorite flavor of waffle. Come join our adventure. It's It's the the Arner Adventures Adventures Podcast. Podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Jerry. And I'm Shannon. Our little furry gal, Betty White, is hanging with us, of course, and we are back for episode 28 of the Arner Adventures podcast. Yes, she's snoring, so forgive the snores if you hear her. (laughs) Today, we have a Spark in Our Lives episode with an adventurous story that we can't wait to tell you about. But first, let's get to our review of the week. Today's review comes from Tyson65. Tyson says, this podcast is amazing. Great, useful information. Thank you for putting this together. Thank you so much, Tyson. We appreciate that. If you'd like to be our review of the week and get the chance to receive a gift from Sugarwish, please take a moment and give us a five-star review or rating. We have an easy link for you all to follow. It's lovethepodcast.com slash Adventures. but no worries. We'll link it for you in the show notes. Your reviews and ratings keep us motivated and amped to continue this podcast week after week. So thank you for taking the time to do it. And while you're at it, be sure to hit that subscribe button in the platform you're listening to us on so that you'll be sure to be notified each time we have an episode drop. Well, speaking of keeping us amped and motivated, our guest today is really special and our conversation may get you amped and motivated to do a few things. Our guest today is Graham Brown. Graham is the author of the book, Fire Your Boss, Sell Your Car, Travel the World, A Guide to Living Location Independent. Graham has such a unique story and is such an interesting guy. You're really going to love this episode. We really love spending time with him. Should we just go ahead and get to the episode? Uh, Yeah, let's do it. Our guest today is going to have you so inspired that if you're driving to work while you're listening to this, you may walk into work and you may fire your boss. You may list your car for sale by this afternoon, and you may make a plan to travel the world because if that's your goal or if you're teetering on that idea, contemplating it, he is going to get you amped to do just that. Our guest is Graham Brown, and he authored the book, Fire Your Boss, Sell Your Car, Travel the World, A Guide to Living Location Independent. Graham is a world-traveling storyteller, author, and entrepreneur. He is a renowned public speaker, a thought leader, and an expert in personal branding. We are so excited to dig into this more. Graham, thank you so much for being here with us today. Wonderful. Thank you for the invite. Thanks, Shannon and Jerry. Yeah. Looking forward to this. Yeah, like kindred that. spirits, yeah. different <laughs> sides of the world. We are. We yeah. have a lot of synergy. Might be one of the closest things we've had as a guest to our personal experience. Yeah. 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 That bit where it starts where we sold everything, you know, that's the beginning of an interesting story. You know, that's a story you want to hear, isn't it? Because that Uh person has given up quite a bit to get there. 
I saw that on your website and I was following your story as well. I thought, well, not many people start with that as an opener. No, it always makes for great conversation though. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great way to start. You know, people ask you that the worst question, I think for me, and I'm one of these people, if I go to a cocktail party or one of these networking events, I'd rather be at home. I'm much more comfortable there, you know, in front of a microphone, maybe. And people ask you, Graham, what do you do? I don't have an answer for that question because it's not like I'm an accountant or I'm a lawyer. Mm-hmm. It's a very complicated question. I'm sure it's the same with you guys as well. Yeah. yeah. So when I talk to people about this and, you know, I do a lot of podcasting, mm-hmm. people say, how do I answer that question? Don't say, what, don't say what's on your business card. Instead, tell them what you're building. Tell them what you've done, sir. You know, I sold everything and traveled the world. And you're going to get people react in a different way. The ones that you don't want to have a conversation will sort of go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, that was stupid, and then walk off. (laughs) But the ones that you do want to go, tell me more, tell me more. I want to know. How was it? What was it like? No, that's a good point. Yeah, that's really neat. It is interesting because I think when we first, and we talked a little bit about this before, but when we first did, when we first sold everything, Well, I'll speak definitely for myself. And I think I'm speaking for Jerry too. I do think we were a little, and I think maybe shy, embarrassed was the word. I think we were a little Mm. fearful about what was people's reaction going to be. So we didn't even talk about it. We were Mm. just like, oh no, let's avoid the the topic. No one's going to understand. So let's just don't tell anyone, you know? Well, it seemed like we got more positive then than we did negative. And it was like a lot of people... It was sort of always the, yeah, you know, if the kid wasn't still in junior high, I'd do the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. That That's right. <laughs> I didn't have yeah. to pay the bills. I'd be yeah. out there on my motorbike, you know, in the Himalayas. Yeah. 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 Well, that's it. The point about people maybe being critical of making these big life changes. And for us, it was the same. You know, we sold everything in 2012. And everything, you know, a business included. Mm-hmm. But it was a whole process. It wasn't really, you know, we were going to sell everything. It was starting that process of selling a business, then selling a house, and then looking around, thinking, what else can we sell? Because yeah. actually, the process of decluttering for your mind is a very powerful one. And we all go through these sort of fantasy conversations. So, what are they going to say? How are they going to think about this? And actually, most of them are in our head. People maybe yeah. think these things about us. Oh, look at them. They don't have a car. They're sort of unsuccessful now. They're not in the sort of script of how success is defined because they don't have all these items or these objects around them. Yeah. But I think that's mainly it. When you actually do this stuff, it does polarize people. You'll find that the ones who get it, like you say, the positives will gravitate towards you because they'll feel that energy that you give off because it's a very much lighter existence, isn't it? You know, yeah. Cars, yeah. houses, stuff, you know, even down to, you know, all the junk that we accumulate in our lives and our garages, right? Getting rid of yeah. that stuff. It changes you because you, it, you really do focus on what's important. You do. And the things that you already valued just became exponentially, you know, more valuable. Yeah. yeah. And there was always those things that keepsakes you value, but they were usually tucked away somewhere in a particular part of the attic. And then they kind of, since you didn't have so much, they came out more in the forefront. I did find that it's like the, I really looked at little things that a lot of people might not 
they might be sentimental, but they might not value so much. Mm. And I was starting to find greater value in some of these maybe older sentimental things. If that yeah, but those are meaningful. And mm-hmm. probably the yeah. sentimental because they're an experience that you've had or yeah. a memory of somebody. And that's what it's about, isn't it? That in our case, for example, I'm sure we'll go into this in the podcast, is at one point we were living on the island off Africa, the Canary yeah. Islands, uh-huh. which are part of Spain, but they're actually geographically part of Africa. So it's a Spanish culture. So you've got all that kind of very relaxed island lifestyle, drinking coffee out in the sun. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, we just had like three suitcases, three of us, me, my wife, my boy, who was six at the time. And all we owned was three suitcases. That's it. Everything. There was a storage with, you know, some photographs somewhere in London, but nothing else. And when you're like that, you are very vulnerable. And that's the, I think the reality of this existence that we've all experienced is that you, you strip away the clothing, if you like, of society. And a lot of that is, you know, your, for example, your job title. You don't have that anymore. You don't have a car. You don't have this place you live. And you don't have this community that you are surrounded by and all these objects. You strip all of that away. I mean, it's great to be then in that kind of Zen existence of, oh, I can really focus on what I want. But the downside is, is you have that vulnerability. Right. Now you don't have that armor. So, you know, the existence, the reality of this location independent nomadic lifestyle, wherever you are, is that, you know, whether you're on the coast in North Carolina or on an island somewhere, Mm -hmm. is that the highs are going to be higher, but the lows are going to be lower. Right. And that's, that's why it's a journey worth documenting and sharing because documenting and sharing it helps you deal with that you know because it's not all you know sunshine and rainbows well and that's what i read the book first i was doing some traveling at the time and i kept reading it and i had it i was reading it like on my phone on my amazon kindle app or whatever and i came home and i was telling jerry about it and i was telling him you know oh my gosh, like this is, of course, you know, on a much smaller scale, how we sold all of our stuff and our, you know, house and all of that and the business and then came to the coast. And I said, but oh my gosh, I could totally relate to this. I said, the difference between other things that we researched and read and people that paint these pictures of how wonderful life is going to be. I said, the difference between all that and Graham's book is that it's sort of a handbook that I wish we would have read at the time. And also you do paint the picture of, okay, these are the pros and these are the cons. This is why you should do it. This is why you shouldn't do it. If you're here, hey, this is why you should. If you're here, this is why you should not do it. And I love that you did that because I think that there's so many people who have these, I would never talk somebody out of doing it, but I think that there are people who think, wow, yes, he lives on this island. Wow, it's so great. And they don't think about, gosh, this is going to be really hard. And Mm. the one thing I loved that you say in there is, I think you mentioned a few times, if you're worried about what people think, don't do it. Mm. Because if you're going to constantly be worried about what people think, or you care about what people think, then this is not for you. Because, you know, if that's what you rely on, what feeds you is constantly what people think, then you can't live this lifestyle. You just, you just can't. You know, I just think, I don't know, it really is a handbook, but I do want to get to it and talk about, you know, going back and you sort of led us there a little bit 
back in the beginning when you did sell everything, kind of a Cliff Notes version, because I want people to read the book. <laughs> what was the thought process? Had you always had the dream of doing this? Or were you just sort of like, you know, did you and your wife say, okay, let's do this? Or were you kind of like sit down, have a family meeting? Like what was sort of the thought process behind doing it? The Cliff Notes version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? And I mean, one of the reasons I do podcasts is really to make sense of that question. Yeah. Because it wasn't so clear at the time. And I don't think everybody is. You know, there's a lot of talk these days of finding your why. Yeah, But I really don't believe in that. I feel that most of us discover it by accident, almost as a, an afterthought, like the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, says, we live life forwards but understand it backwards. Mm -hmm. And at the time, there wasn't really a great why that we were going to sell everything and pack it into three suitcases and travel the world. But in context, we were living in London at the time. I had a telecoms business. And I had lived abroad before in the 90s. I lived in Japan for a short period, very much fascinated by, you know, other cultures, different worlds. So I was curious. I think that's the starting point. I think if you have that curious energy, you know, I was the little boy where people say, don't look through the hole in the fence. Yeah. I'm like, go. okay, yeah. <laughs> I got to look through the hole in the fence. <laughs> kind of like a Tom Sawyer type story, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So that was me. And I think that's the energy which then propels you through life to live life really as a traveler as opposed to a tourist, which I think is a big difference. And, you know, if you think about life as a tourist, and we've all been on these tours, you know, you end up on a coach and you're looking at life through the safety of the glass window, right? And, you know, not many things can go wrong, but a traveler really is about getting off that coach and getting yep. lost in the back streets and getting lost in the back streets is where the magic happens, right? Yeah. You know, we've all been somewhere where you're, you know, you're in a town or a place you don't know and you're, it's not on the map, like this bit, where are we? And you're trying to figure it out and then yeah. a little bit of scared, you know, uh -huh. and then you, you bump into somebody, you have those random encounters and those are the things you still talk about today. Like, or you discover that little tapas bar, you know, where there's just this old guy who's 80 years old running it and there's two seats and you sit there and have a wine. And those are the memories that you will never discover living on the bus, right? Yeah. But you have to kind of put yourself out there. So the process, like you ask, is, you know, what were the thought process? I know you talk a lot about, for example, mental health and, you know, which really is about, you know, living life on your terms, isn't it? Mm -hmm. A lot of what causes the issues that we have today, and people talk about stress and anxiety and mental health, is we end up living lives for other people. We end up absorbing these definitions and stories of success, which are written for us. You know, it's the old Harley Davidson advert is that, you know, when writing the story of your life, make sure nobody else is holding the pen. Mm. And many of us end up in that situation where we absorb these ideas of success. And that could be the traditional career, or even as business owners, we absorb these ideas of success and we live out these stories to fulfill the expectations of other people, not ourselves. I think one of the biggest challenge for us entrepreneurs is that we start a business thinking 
that we're going to do this for ourselves because we are not those gray-faced, gray-suited career people that we see every day. We're going to go and make our own lifestyle. We're going to design our lifestyle. And then we start this process and we end up being motivated and shaped by the same forces that everybody else is being shaped by, which is trying to impress other people. Yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, I've got a successful business. Look at how many people we hire. Look at the size of my office. And, you know, yeah. then living that lifestyle, whether you are being paid as an employee or whether you are being paid as a business owner, it's the same. And so for me, you know, it's constantly looking at and saying, this isn't right. Something must, you know, and something it's the hole in the fence poking and trying to find a way. And it never is obvious. And then, you know, taking small steps like, okay, what if we didn't need an office? That was the starting point. And then everything kind of unravels. We had an office in London, got rid of that, started working remotely in 2007, 2008. And then when you didn't need an office, we didn't need all these people. And then you don't yeah. need that car. And then I don't need to work with these clients because I don't need to pay all these bills now. And then the thing starts falling apart beautifully. And it's a process. So, I mean, to your listeners, it's a very long Cliff Notes answer. No, I, I love it. I would it. say I love that, that, you know, it's a process. It, it's not like one day you were, you know, this career accountant and the next day you were living on this tropical island. It doesn't yeah. happen. Like it's, it's small steps. And the more you sort of push in that direction, the more the truth will reveal itself unto you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. You know, you're, you're right. I mean, I think, you know, now that you're saying that, I think we can sort of pinpoint a conversation that we had. I felt like we were pushed to a breaking point, but we were sitting, we were sitting in the ocean. The waves are sort of breaking on us. And, right down the road. Yeah. And I remember saying something has to give. I mean, it mm. has to give and I can't keep living like this. And we both felt that, Oh yeah. but it, it was a bunch of, little things. And it was sort of the mindset of we're living this way. We're pushing, pushing, pushing this business because it was the expectation of what you think the business should be. And what oh, everyone yes. thinks the business success should be. And it wasn't yeah. what we wanted success to be, you know? Well, and you go into it thinking you don't have to answer to a boss, but all your clientele becomes your bosses. But you have right. a thousand bosses. Yeah, you got a thousand of them. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But that's yeah. the reality, right, Jerry? That and you know, it's an important conversation to have. Yeah. Because it's harder maybe for entrepreneurs to talk like this because it's almost like if you do talk like that, you're a failure. Mm -hmm. You know, you see yeah. the material. We are being bombarded by this carousel of imagery about entrepreneurship, which can be, for example, you know, the laptop on the beach blog, you know, we see all that or those kind of, like, why aren't you sort of living this lifestyle where hundred percent passive income and, you know, trading an hour a day or whatever, or it can be, you know, people like Elon Musk, like, you know, when you're a billionaire, you've got the right to speak like this until that point, you're nobody. But that's, you know, kind of the Hollywood mindset, isn't it? That, you know, you go to Hollywood and 1% of people make it. Everybody else is hustling. Yeah. And for us, that's the challenge, isn't it? Because most people will end up hustling and having yeah. those conversations that 
maybe the biggest challenge of being an entrepreneur is that actually the reality is, is that you're going to do this for the rest of your days. Mm-hmm. Very rarely will you get to a situation where somebody will come and acquire your business and you'll be out. Right. right. This is it. So I think that was for me, the reality. And, and obviously, you know, we will all be touched by our mortality or the mortality of people around us, which makes mm-hmm. us ask, Shannon, like you say, those questions, something's got to give. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, for me personally, it was, you know, losing some of my family mm-hmm. and then thinking, actually, that could be me next. Yeah. You know, you look at the statistics, you know, that's it. Is that if you look at the stats, that especially if you're a couple as well, you know, there's two people in the equation now. Yeah. yeah. That we are more likely to hit retirement age 65. I mean, we're lucky even to be 65 as a retirement age. By the time we get there, they keep moving it, don't they? <laughs> if we're lucky to 65 where both of you are in full health. And that's yeah. the scary fact that, that you're more likely to get to that point where one of us, one of in a couple has some kind of critical illness or immobility or mental, you know, for example, degenerative disease, for example, mm-hmm. at 65. So that scared me. And I thought, that's the reality is that I'm going to work all my days like my dad did. Yeah. You know, worked all his days. He got to 64 the year before retirement and got diagnosed with terminal cancer. Mm. And that scared me so much mm-hmm. because he'd grown up with this, you know, that generation, they grew up with this idea that you're going to work all your life. It's like, yep. you know, love and marriage all your life. You'll get a 65 and then you'll be able to enjoy the rest of it. And so yeah. He, yeah. he gave up 45 years for that. And then he got to the last point and it was pulled away from him. You know, he only lasted about another 18 months. And yeah. he, that affected me, obviously, you know, with, I grew up thinking that that was the option. And at the time I was an entrepreneur. So I was thinking, actually, that could be me now. Yeah. And it scared me to take action. You know, I feel death shouldn't be something that influences or shapes our lives or at least determines it. But it's an amazing teacher that tells you, look, this is the reality that a lot of us will face. And what are you going to do about it? And right. most people just kind of hide that away. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to worry about that when I get 65. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think it is that, people are so stuck in that definition of success. And let me give you a scenario that sort of resonates with your lifestyle and semi hours and what we hope to accomplish at some point. But when we sold our house, I remember the next question was going to be, well, you're going to buy a house when you move there, right? No, no, because we don't know where we're going to end up being. We might go here to here to here. Well, you know, no, renting is wasting your money. And I heard a quote or I read a quote somewhere that said, no, when you pay rent, you're paying for the opportunity to be able to leave and go wherever you want anytime. Mm -hmm. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, yes, that's exactly what we're doing. (laughs) Why do you think that people are so stuck in the beliefs that they're in, whether it's that you have to own a house or that you have to work a job for a, you know, a certain amount of time to be successful? Like, why do you think that that is? That's a really powerful question. <laughs> and you're going to make enemies asking that kind of question. <laughs> oh, I know. A lot of real estate agents don't like me when I say yeah. about the rent thing, but. You've all heard us rave about Sugar Wish. I don't think there's a day that passes where I'm not telling somebody about it. Sugar Wish is definitely one of those businesses where you ask yourself, why didn't I think of that? How many times have you wanted or needed to send a gift to someone and it was either one last minute or two, you didn't want to send just another gift that's going to lay around and take up space? 
or you just didn't have any idea what to get the person. Sugarwish allows you to send a sweet gift to someone and the recipient gets to choose their favorites. We've received Sugarwish gifts and sent Sugarwish gifts and they are always a hit. You cannot go wrong. It's super easy. You go to the website, sugarwish.com, choose the size of the gift you want to send, enter a personalized message and note tailored to the person you're sending it to. It arrives to that person or pup via email or text. The recipient then gets your message and then chooses what they want. They have so many options to choose from. Uh, candies, cookies, popcorn, snacks, tea, coffee, wine. Yes, wine. <laughs> and Betty's fave, dog treats. Betty gets to choose from crunchy, chewy, jumbo, and training treats. It's perfect for your fur baby or the dog lover in your life. Use code Betty White. That's all caps. One word. Betty White to save $7 off of your Sugar Wish gift. We also have the link in the show notes. Sugar Wish always saves the day. I think you've got to ask these questions as well because those why questions are really what gets you to the truth. And so the question is, is like, why are people stuck in that? Why isn't it? Okay, it's obvious. Just do this, right? I had a similar situation like you did where people were often a little bit challenged by that reality i remember somebody when we sold our stuff somebody like all the ebayers turned up you know taking all our life away from us all these yeah. all these objects <laughs> my poor wife she spent like six months just answering the door to these strangers yeah and this guy turned up took our tv away we sold that obviously it was one of the first things to go Not, yeah didn't miss it much at all and then I remember my neighbor found out that we'd sold our TV. And he says, oh, what are you getting? I said, I have a TV. I remember him saying exactly. He says, you don't have a TV. Well, what are you going to do? That was his question. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't even answer it. I thought, actually, I'm going to rephrase that and think about it for the next 10 years. Because that was really powerful. And I still think about it now. That's the answer to your question is because we are very much conditioned. You know, you think TV, advertising, media, co-workers, aunts and uncles, family, society, it's extremely powerful yeah. to make us believe in these stories. And we all maybe think that we're beyond that. You know, I'm, not, I'm not influenced by all this stuff. But it does, it works. Billions yeah. and billions of dollars convincing us mm -hmm. of this reality. And yeah. we buy into it. And if you take, we chatted off air about it. A car is a great example. Yeah. Is that if you sell a car, then you feel, I mean, for a generation, the car defined class and status, right? I know we like to think we don't live in those kind of worlds anymore, but that's the reality. You know, you think about great media, movies like, you know, American Graffiti and stuff like that, where the yeah. car became, a, if you're a teenager, it became symbol of independence, didn't it? And for that generation, it was. And yet, if you think about it, most people, if you look at the stats, most people will spend 60% of their disposable income on maintaining and owning a car. And 95% of the time, it doesn't move. You know, it stays stationary, losing value. And when it does move, often it only at 20% occupancy, you know, five seats, one person. But it's constantly mm. yeah. costing money, insurance, taxation, et cetera, et cetera, plus the repairs, the lubes, all these kind of things, that yeah. costs money. And yet when people, when you ask somebody, why do you need a car? They said, well, I need a car to drive to work. And they said, well, why do you need to work over there? He said, well, because 
I need to buy a car. <laughs> I need to afford this car. And you know, that becomes a thing. You earn the money and then you get a salary raise and then you go and buy a car with it or buy a better car or you, yeah. you know, even rent a car. So that's the reality. And to make that whole thing work, you need advertising agencies to spend billions and billions of dollars convincing us that the car isn't a means of getting from A to B because you've got Uber and you've got transport for that, right? You've got taxis. The car is about how people will see you. And you see every single car advert is about how people think about you. You know, are you a family man? Are you a successful man? Are you, you know, a considerate mother? Whatever it may be. Defining people through these stories. And that is the longer answer to your question, Shannon, is the reason why people are stuck in it is because of the power of story. Is that these stories are extremely powerful and we grow up believing in them. You know, this is a successful person. This is an unsuccessful person. If I want to be loved and accepted by other people, I need to be more like A and less like B. Mm. And only when you grow up and you realize and you start challenging these stories, do you realize actually how powerful they really are. You know, Mm. it goes in and and to be able to live beyond that is going to cause issues with people like the house or the car or the TV story. Right. I'm going to bring up a Bob Dylan quote here. I think it's kind of relevant. He says, you know, a man is a success when he gets up in the morning and goes to bed at night and in between he does what he likes. Yeah. That's in your book. Yep. Right. But if you live that life, can you imagine being at school and talking like that? They'd be like, (laughs) get out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're in trouble right it's kind of the ferris bueller type yeah character isn't it but only yeah. you know we are brought up to believe and condition because that makes everything work and to be the one who asks why you know you have to be informed that's the great thing about you know your podcast your blog and you know all the material out there of people living this life because you have to know that you have to what the alternatives are otherwise you'll just kind of be marginalized you know you may be curious asking these kind of questions but you don't have answers you don't have stories to pull on and say actually these people are doing it and they seem happy why don't i do like that because we don't have those alternatives in the mainstream right yeah you know, I had a question for you, but now I, I feel like I have all these, now they're turning into these bigger questions. But, <laughs> but, That's life. Yeah, that means <laughs> You're going down the rabbit hole. I know. Yeah. My question was going to be, but now I, now I want to rephrase it. Let me tell you what it was going to be. My question to you was going to be, because of your lifestyle, do you consider yourself a minimalist? But now... I'm even like rethinking, you know, I've always said, oh yeah, we're minimalists. We're minimalists. But now I'm like, maybe none of us here are minimalists. Maybe we're just sort of, we live life the way that life should, like getting back to basics, the way it should be lived. Like maybe minimalist isn't even the lifestyle. You know what I mean? Yeah. We sort of stripped it back a little bit, but yeah, I don't feel we really like, what are your thoughts about the yeah. term minimalism? It's attractive, isn't it, minimalism? But you also set yourself up, don't you? Yeah. That you're kind of replacing one lifestyle with another. Yeah. Which is fine because you need it. Because when people ask you, you've got to have an answer, right? <laughs> you know, what, what box do I put you guys in, right? Yeah. Are you in that box or that box? Come on, I need to know. Yeah. And you could give them the long answer. 
But life isn't like that. You know, it's just, okay, yeah, I'm a minimalist. Just accept that. Yeah, I think that makes sense for those kind of dinner party conversations where it just keeps it easy, where you say, I'm a minimalist, right? But labels. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the challenge, isn't it? Is that actually, if you replace, for example, being a careerist or an entrepreneur with something else, you end up with the same forces that drive you. You're trying to live this lifestyle for other people. And that's the challenge. And I think I love the idea of minimalism. I would accept it and take bits of it mm-hmm. and then play with it. I think all these kind of labels, you've got to play with them. Yeah. And, you know, when people yeah. ask me, what do I do? Instead of saying, you know, I run a podcast business, you know, I tell them I'm a storyteller. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I just play with it. I feel that's the kind of, we've kind of earned the license or the ability to play with those stories now. So yeah, tell them you're a minimalist, have fun with them. Yeah. I think that's the key, isn't it? Because you'll get the reactions you want out of people because somebody's going to go, Pah, minimalism, what's that? And walk away. Or they're going to say, oh, that's great. You know, I wanted to do that. I've got too much junk. I always feel that I could really kind of declutter my life. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think the answer, I mean, I don't have a black and white answer to that, but that's yeah. probably the reality, isn't it? Is that play with these terms. Yeah. Because you know, yeah. life is absurd, let's face it. And I think you get people to maybe get curious in what you're about. And maybe want to know more. I was going to tell him the story about, we were talking about dinner parties. We were at a dinner party. Someone was asking us something about our lifestyle and they were a fellow entrepreneur. And for a little bit, we thought that the person was really understanding like, Oh yeah, Mm. you know, this is what we were going through and this is why we make these changes. And (laughs) and I was really like wow okay yeah he's really getting it and now I've realized he was sort of pacifying us and so we were sort of having the conversation and then he just said mom now you're living on love aren't you (laughs) down in our commune yeah it was a jab it was sort of a jab and then I was like okay this conversation needs to end like there's no point even going any further but it was one of those things where I now I'm realizing, yeah, I should have just given the little version. Yeah, we just downside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have yeah. to sort of just pick You just your- tell them we've got this love fest community ashram <laughs> down on the coast. Like, you know, <laughs> it's midsummer, come down for celebrations. We're all going to be dancing around naked. Oh, I was just going to say, we, we could have told them this is actually the first time we've had clothes on in two months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we realized absolutely it was appropriate. <laughs> yeah. well living in love is actually not a bad thing to do if you think right, about it, right? Right. You know, but it's funny how that's become a negative isn't it in I, life right oh, right yeah. like a complete yeah. like backlash of the culture of the 60s and early yeah. 70s you know and it's been that way since like the 80s you know it's just yeah, like, right. They probably then go to church and listen to a sermon about Jesus, you know, and, you know, listen, talking about love. Right, they probably right. accept all that and then go out and criticize people for actually doing yeah. it, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the irony of it. Uh-huh. I th- you know, there's a scene, isn't there? In I remember the movie Wall Street. Is it yeah. Charlie Sheen, Martin Sheen? I can't It's Charlie Sheen, wasn't it? Charlie Sheen, uh-huh. Yeah. There's a scene in that where he's working in this boiler room type outfit, you know, where they're making the phone calls and pitching wow. people a hundred a day and selling stuff. And I've actually worked in one of those, ironically. I've done that and I've experienced it. And there's a bit in it where his girlfriend is asking him, like, when are you going to get out of this? Because he's clearly unhappy. 
you know, he's making money, but he's clearly living a bad lifestyle, very toxic. Yeah. And there's a bit where he says, I think that if I can make a bunch of cash out of this, then I'm going to sell up and I'm going to buy a motorbike and ride across China. This is in the <laughs> 80s. And the irony is, is that how much does it actually cost to buy a motorbike and ride across right. China? Probably <laughs> right. maybe a yeah. thousand bucks. <laughs> now, most people can do that, but yeah. we would rather hang on to these ideas, like the living on love ideas, which have been indoctrinated in us, which really at the end of the day, this is about fear, isn't it? That if you think about it from almost everything that we've ever done, that's amazing in our life lay on the other side of fear. You know, that mm. could have been getting up on stage and doing that talk. It could have been starting the podcast. Mm. Oh, who's going to want to hear our story? Mm-hmm. You know, let's do it. And then you commit, you press record and you're then out there. You're beyond, you've broken through or selling your house or moving to the coast. These are all scary decisions. Yeah. And yet we can all do them. But the reason we don't do them is not fear of failure. Like failure is nothing. It's like, you know, from the moment when you're in the kindergarten, you fell over or you dropped something or you banged ahead with another kid, you've experienced failure and you've understood it doesn't kill you. The real fear that we have is what other people think about us, that mm. they think that, well, we're a bunch of hippies now, or <laughs> maybe we weren't actually cut out for this entrepreneurial game after all, right? Maybe we were just kind of faking it and then we broke and then we had to kind of go back to our hippie roots, you know, and start <laughs> tend the farm, whatever it may be. But that's the reality. And it's also all about fear. And then when you talk about this, you have to understand the reason why people react to us like that is because they feel it. That mm. deep down, everybody wants to live like that. Mm. Everybody would like to live on love. Why not? What a great lifestyle that would be. You know, mm. that's the challenge. And then when you talk about that, it's almost like, well, for weeks and weeks, I've buried this idea. And then now you're kind of bringing it up, which is what happened to that guy. It's kind of, you're kind of point needling, you're pulling at my heartstrings and I want to keep that thing shut. So I need ah. to kind of shut it down. And we have to realize the reason why people react like that is because you're talking the truth mm. and it hurts. And there's a great, I think it was a, a newspaper survey done some years ago, Daily Mail, which is a, you know, sort of, it's popular online. And they surveyed people yeah. and they said, what's the number one thing that you do if you won the lotto or the lottery or the Powerball, whatever it may be? And number one answer people gave almost unilaterally, 81% said, go and travel the world. Yeah. And that's, re- I find that really fascinating is because 81% of people think that you have to be financially well-endowed millionaire, billionaire to travel the world when you could do that with a few hundred bucks. And that's the reality is that we're all kind of sold on this idea that it may be something that happens in the distant future. If this impossible event happens, like I win the lottery or I sell my business. And that's the reality that keeps us all happy and numb. I say not happy, but numb, sorry, to the reality. And your guy at that event is, that's why it's not because you're wrong. It's because you're speaking the truth to him and he can't handle it because you're exposing him. He could do that. And yeah. the only, you can't say the reason I can't I do this. 
the reason I can't do this is because, you know, I'm not an entrepreneur like you guys. He was an entrepreneur, which is even worse for him, right? The reason mm -hmm. he can't do this is because he's scared. And the only way that he can shut that down and accept it is to come up with this nonsense idea that you're just a bunch of hippies. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I love to, I was just sitting here thinking too about when you were talking about the cost of travel and I'm not going to keep talking about things in your book because I really do want everybody to go get it. But the thing I loved too, and we were talking about this earlier before we even got on here with you is that probably one of the greatest things I think your book has as a resource is you talk about if you have this much money, this is how far it will go in these areas, mm -hmm. which I think is brilliant. Like this will last you three months here. This will last you a week here. I love that. It opened my eyes. I had no idea that you could live in some places. You know, if you had a thousand dollars, it would last you, you know, mm. a month in some places where it would last you, you know, two days and others. Yeah. And the book, yes, it's your story and it's wonderful, but it's also such a great handbook resource. And I just think that's amazing. I wish we'd have known about it earlier, but we know about yeah. it now. So it's, it's great. <laughs> Well, I was saying those kind of things when, you know, I started out as well. It's like, I wish I'd known about this. You yeah. know, you read somebody else's book or somebody yeah. tells you. Why didn't they tell me this at school? That's the whole point, isn't it? Yeah. You're always yeah. learning. The point about money is really interesting because you have to be curious about that. You don't understand. We don't understand the reality is out there. You know, you could be in a situation. Like if you move to the coast mm -hmm. or you move to an island or you move somewhere else, it changes the economic pressures, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. If you think about it, a lot of people have to live in the city because they have to be close to work. And so therefore they will pay double for their rent or their mortgage loan yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. for that privilege. So they then yeah. have to have an even higher paying salary. So they end up the same. You know, yeah. the I discovered this is that in the very beginning of my career, I was a financial advisor. There was no other jobs going. So I found one where I could <laughs> actually get, you know, if you, if you studied and you took the certificate, become a financial advisor, it was a pretty easy process, six months. And one of the first ever clients that I had was a doctor. Now, I think doctors should be, you know, financially well off, secure, you know, six figures easily as a doctor. And he came to me and one of the things I do as a financial advisor is do, you know, like an audit of their, you know, not a full sort of accountants audit, but just, you know, let's go through all the numbers with you. Uh -huh. So there was a doctor, you know, young doctor in his late twenties and just starting out earning six figures easily, like more than double the average salary easily. And yet he was about $250,000 in debt. And I was looking at thinking, how is this possible? Doctors are like the smartest people out there. These are really intelligent people, but he's got $250,000 of debt more than me. And he's just working to pay this thing off, right? And that really stunned me because that's the trap that he's in. And yeah. there may be reasons why he got into that. We don't know. Obviously, there's lots of things at play, lots of forces. But even that word, if you think about debt itself, and it comes from... German, even in German, the word debt, Schulden, which means guilt, you know, the guiltiness. And if you think about that, is that that's the system that people have. The whole money thing is like, get a job, get a car, get into debt, 
student loans, personal loans. And it's guilt. It's a form of, you know, control or slavery, if you're like in the modern sense. But if you can break out of that, you know, I don't need to pay all this in my rent. I don't need such a higher salary now. I don't, well, if I'm not commuting, don't need a car, don't need, I can just dress in a t-shirt like you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Expensive office suits, lunches at work, spending all that money on yoga classes with the, you know, because to de-stress from work and all these kind of things. Right. But once you get out of that, you realize actually, you know, you don't need a lot of money to live and be happy. That's the irony because it seems, you know, when we're caught up in it, we just need a bit more, you know, your six figures and I just need a bit more. I need another 20,000. I need another 50,000. If I can earn that 50,000, then I can be happy. Then I can afford these things. Yeah. What happens is, is you do, you get that extra money and you just end up worse off. You're so right. That's the, and you don't realize it. You say, oh, okay, next promotion, (laughs) next deal. Yeah. It doesn't happen, right? it's a trap the whole thing is a trap you look at that doctor it made me realize but you step out of it and then you realize actually i can do this a different way yeah Mm -hmm. when we were running the business too the first thing we realized was you know we never turned down a client and when they're building and building it's building and building and we're working more and more that led to more impulse spending because you're constantly you're eating on the run you're just you're just yeah. throwing your money around because you really don't have time to think about what you're buying, you know, because you don't have any downtime. You're just, we were just throwing yeah. money all over the place. Yeah. You know? And it was just a vicious cycle. And it was. And it was also, we were paying attention to that number and going, well, when we hit this number, we'll stop. When we hit this number, we'll stop. When we hit this number. And it kept going up and up and up yeah. and up. And yeah, the business on paper kept making more and more money, but that wasn't, helping us (laughs) you know but did you realize at the time always thinking that it kind of lay on the other side of this next level that you're going to get to did you actually stop and realize before you had that kind of conversation by the coast no no No, you don't know do you no we weren't we weren't stopping we just kept thinking there's some sort of threshold where it's going to get better like we just yeah belief in that yeah yeah i I don't know and then you sort of that's where 65 comes, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oops. Falling off the cliff here, guys. Yeah. That's the, and, and I mean, even for like you, you're entrepreneurs, you kind of, you assume that entrepreneurs are smart and savvy and, you know, they live the examined life. But even yeah. us, we don't see that. That's the irony, isn't it? Right. And that's a challenge that you think it's there. I need to just work a little bit harder. And you're complimented yeah. on your drive and your hard yes. work. And we were that's getting, the story. That's what we yeah. were told constantly. Oh my right. gosh, you guys are such hard workers. You're yeah. you guys are doing so great. I mean, that's what you win. That's what the accolades come from. You know. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, that's, you're breaking down physically and mentally, and your life is miserable. Yeah, and you can't complain because you don't have a boss to complain to, right? <laughs> right. Even, even less. And you can't talk to people and say, oh, I don't like my job. Right. I think that is why the stress for an entrepreneur is even harder. Yeah. Because, you know, if you worked in a company, you could easily complain. You could play the I'm trapped, I'm a victim card, right? Yeah. Or, I'm, you know, I'm going to get another job or I don't like my boss. But as an entrepreneur, all those people are saying, oh, you guys, look at you're amazing. You work so hard. Look at all these things that you have. Yeah. All these. 
all these privileges that come with being an entrepreneur. And that's really hard because you can't then turn around and go, actually, it's not what mm -hmm. it seems, right? And that's, yeah. you know, we look at mental health in society, all those people that looked externally to be successful in everybody's fighting a war and a battle internally, right? Mm -hmm. They're on their one client email away from a meltdown. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. that's how it is for most people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the beginning of your book, you have some advice from Henry Rollins, who we love. And <laughs> he essentially tells us, the reader, about how everyone should travel, have your mind blown, experience different cultures, because you see the country, well, your own country, the world differently. We 100% agree with that. Yeah. We say all the time how we think that traveling makes you more human. It makes you more compassionate. Even though your, you know, your knowledge expands, your world becomes, you know, it's like you see the world bigger, but your world becomes smaller because you truly have like this better sense of what other people are going through. And it's like your lens becomes more clear. And I think we as people, whether you have children or not, you need to do it. Mm. But you have a son. So do you feel that this is this wonderful advantage that you've given him and you know, that you're able to do this for him? I mean, do you think that's just wonderful? I think it's wonderful. We don't have kids, mm. but I think it's mm. absolutely phenomenal that you're able to give that to him. Do you see it that way? Yeah, there's a lot of questions in there. I mean, the bit about, I come to the idea of travelers' education. I mean, it's education for us as well, as, you know, from kids age four to 94, really. That's yeah. the reality. And the bit about Henry Rollins as well, you know, getting out and traveling. Let, let's put it out there to your listeners as well, that travel doesn't mean going living on an island necessarily it can be you know moving state right different part even within i mean look at the us the states are so big even within a state it's like yeah. two different countries right in some cases yeah. upstate you know different to where maybe out in the more country areas so that's the reality travel really means just change it means changing the lifestyle moving somewhere else so you can experience travel even in the same state same country same yeah. city, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. So let's put that out there first. And I think, you know, it does blow your mind. Mm -hmm. That is important because that's what life is. It's just a collection of stories, really. That's all we remember at the end of the day when you sit around the table is that all that's left is those moments when your minds were blown, right? Yeah. Those are the ones you remember. You kind of put it together. I mean, there were two instances that really reconfirmed it for me. The first one was I was just recently graduated backpacking at the time backpacking around the islands of indonesia which i wanted to do and so i was hanging out with all these kind of travelers other 20 year olds which was quite cool you know everybody kind of where have you been oh yeah i've been up to thailand been to the philippines went out to these mad islands where you can hire a boat and sail around for three or five days or whatever it is all those kind of stories and then i remember because when you're traveling you live this very fluid existence, which is, you know, there's two of you, there's one of you, and it's like you join up with this other team of people, and then there's like yeah. four or five, and you go to dinner and new people join at this cafe. One evening, sitting there in this cafe with all these 20-year-olds, and I was one of them, and then this 70-year-old couple turned up, and that was unusual. And they came and sat and said, can we sit with you? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> be my guest. So they came and sat with us, you know, moved our stuff, they sat down this 70 year old couple from Australia, they'd retired and 
they had been retired for a number of years now and they've been living in Australia retired and they got bored of that because you can imagine you just kind of hang out with your community and nothing to do. Same, 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 play golf, whatever it may be. And then they decided at some point that they were going to do something new. So one of them decided, let's take up bodyboarding, which is, you know, like the mini surfboards. What? Yeah. You know, they're sort of, they're about three foot yeah. surfboards, you know, you kind of lie on them rather as opposed to standing. Yeah. <laughs> they said, yeah, that's a really good idea. You can imagine this sort of retirement <laughs> community. It's like, yeah, let's go bodyboarding. <laughs> So they, they bought these bodyboards and they bought this one-way ticket to Indonesia where they started. And they said they'd spent the last, when I met them, they spent the last 10 months bodyboarding around Southeast Asia, just two of them together, you know, husband and wife. And I thought that was, I was so inspired. Wow. I was like, you know, I wasn't thinking about life partners. I wasn't thinking about my life. But yeah. that really, that touched me. And I remember them because it was for the first time and it was through travel yeah. that I ever experienced somebody who looked really happy and was living life on their terms. You know, oh. they weren't driving around in a big car. No. They just like, you know, and they were sitting with 20-year-olds as well. You know, they oh. fearless. You know, they weren't this sort of big, you know, public speaking type couple. They just quite timid, shy. And they're just sitting oh. and they're holding their own. And all these, you know, these 20-year-olds were like, wow, like you are like <laughs> For me, the North Star now. Oh my gosh, I so love it, that. So that really inspired me. That was the story that planted a seed in my head and it, yeah. it, it didn't go away. Yeah. You know, whoever they are out there, thank you very much for yeah. kind of inspiring me. So that was the first one. The second story, a very short one, is that when I, I moved to Japan in the 90s, was actually before that slightly, teaching English. And I remember when I arrived in Tokyo, and this was very exciting, Tokyo was, you know, still like the you know, future back in the 90s yeah. it's different now but back then yeah. you know it's like tdk tapes and toshiba and sony these uh -huh. were a big deal so i remember landing in tokyo got whisked away to the office you know i was going to be indoctrinated onboarded <laughs> in the new company and i sat there waiting in the office and you know the manager was going to come and see me so i was sitting there a little bit nervous young guy new job and i was looking around and i as you do you're sort of scanning the walls most of it was in japanese i couldn't read it and then there was this map sitting there in the office just on the wall and i was, kept looking at this map going something's funny about that map and i kept looking at it and thinking that's not right and you and i and the listeners we've all seen the map of the world right and it's the yeah. Mercator projection right which it has sort of new york on the left and london in the middle on the right the atlantic uh -huh. in the center right and then sort of pushed out to the right you've got asia and uh -huh. if you're new zealand new zealanders are off the map at the bottom right <laughs> <laughs> but this map was different this map had tokyo in the center japan in the center so you've got if you have put japan in the center of the world what it looks like is like london is pushed right to the top left and new york is pushed right to the top right and there's this big pacific right in the middle mm. and it looks really really weird and when you look at it you start asking questions that actually right. maps are interpretations of the world and right. every single one of them is correct because right. that's how they see it that's how and they see it we've seen it this way for all our lives at schools and you see it on the wall you see it in a book you wherever you look at the world you see that image yeah. and yet here's another version of it and that just blew my mind oh because my gosh. I've never even i started thinking and if it, 
to your listeners, here's the challenge. There's actually something called the South Up Map, right? Go and Google it. A South Up Map actually is what we would think is upside down. So if you have a look at it, the world looks very, very different. You've got like Africa and Australia on the top and you've got us oh, all at the bottom. Yeah. Right? And the interesting thing, if you tell people about the South Up Map, the first thing they'll say is it's upside down. And if you resurrect your sort of high school physics lessons, like in space, there's no up and no down. Right. Uh-huh. Right. It's actually right. correct. And they say, no, 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 no. The compass points north. A compass doesn't actually point north. A compass right. points north and south. Right. Right. At the same time. That's the reality of magnetism. Again, physics lessons. That's all I remember. <laughs> and then you, they'll say, no, 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 no. Because the red point you know, is north. It's got like a red dot on it, on your compass, right? Even, even on your app, on your phone, north has got like a little red on it. Uh-huh. But that's because somebody hundreds of years ago decided to paint the north tip to the compass red. And we've stuck with that ever since. Right. Yeah. And a very roundabout answer. But my point is, is that you think about maps and you start seeing different maps of the world. It blows your mind because it's not just about, oh, look, you know, that country is a lot bigger than that country. And that's not how I thought of it. But you see different representations of the world and projections. You realize that everything that we're being told about the world is an interpretation of that right. world and somebody yeah. sees it differently. And that could be, for example, you know, if you look at, look at the size of Greenland on a map, it's huge. Like Greenland yeah. is not that big folks. <laughs> like Greenland <laughs> is not bigger than Africa. Right. <laughs> if you look at a different projection, Greenland is very, very small. So obviously it's favored interpretations of history. Oh. Huh. you know, and world geopolitics, you know, we're all much right. bigger than you guys down here. <laughs> right. That is the kind of truth seeking that I think that it hurts some people and it will get some people riled when you start looking at this, but right. it's not just about maps, maps or stories. And you can apply that mindset to many, many different things like career or happiness mm-hmm. or success. Mm-hmm. So go out there Google the South Up map. That's a mind. Yes. 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 You know what I love about water? Well, other than living by it. Well, there are a million things to love about water. The sea life, the healing properties, part of the Earth's atmosphere. Okay, all that, but I love drinking water. Well, of course. But did you know that humans can only live a few days without water? Yes, yes. So many people live a dehydrated lifestyle. Well, Liquid IV makes it super easy to stay hydrated. Hey, folks, Liquid IV isn't scary. There aren't any IVs involved. No, Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier. It's a powder form, an electrolyte mix that you just add to your water. It delivers two to two and a half more hydration than water alone. They have all kinds of flavors you can choose from, and they have some with energy multiplier and immune support. Also benefit, they are non-GMO, gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free. If you're someone who either has trouble getting your water in or maybe just wants to get in the express lane with your hydration, you should definitely try Liquid IV. For our listeners, if you go to their website, liquid-iv.com, and use code ARNERADVENTURES, you can save 25% off of your order and get free shipping. That's awesome. We'll link it in the show notes, too. Liquid IV, fueling life's adventures. Okay, so before we get to our rapid fire, I want to ask you one more question. Is there somewhere that you want to live or that you want to go that you haven't? 
North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) Down by the beach. Sounds like there's a love fest down there at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's no short answer to that question, Shannon. There's many, many places. Life's too short to answer that one. I think, yeah, just keep moving. Just keep experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) We would love to have you here in Beaufort for our love fest. Okay. So our rapid fire, we're going to ask you 10 questions. It's kind of a this or that. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Okay. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. Book or audio? These are unfair. These are like, (laughs) life's not binary, folks. What about audio book? We feel like we get to know people through these questions. Yeah, but you know, like you're talking to somebody who's going to try and answer in the middle. So I why know. does it have to be? Why does it have to be zero or one? <laughs> well, I do uh, north. <laughs> books. I'm a big fan of books. Yeah, yeah, but we I, are too. Yeah, audio too. So I've covered both bases there. <laughs> I know. Okay, boat or plane? Plane. I know it's not ecologically the best answer but i do get seasick i do too I oh, seasickness is the worst no and i have to live on dramamine and it's a whole thing oh when you're seasick you want to die it's you actually do. worse than death and it's i love a boat i love the idea yeah. of a boat i love the ocean it's romantic it's like, yeah oh, I, know. I, I know this is the quick fire round so i'm gonna make it the long fire it round. Never, it's never I, quick. we went out to australia and you know the great barrier reef is beautiful beautiful like one of the world's great treasures we went out there took the family out there and the all three of us we went out on this kind of like super jet speed boat all three yeah. of us got really oh. really seasick <laughs> and there was i can remember like there were whales and everything they went we did well yeah. watching out there and all this stuff was going on right and oh wow look at the you know humpback whales and then yeah. down to the barrier reef amazing beautiful you know this beautiful azure and like green oh. coral and stuff you're trying to enjoy and then, it. I'm, I'm in the bathroom <laughs> and then my son's like and the other one and everybody's just like so ill and we've got photos of it you know they've got these sort of photo opportunities where you can go to this place and you know the heart reef and stuff like that and we just look miserable it's so funny that's like the memory captured you go out there with these expectations maybe like going to you know the eiffel tower and then the reality is like very different so i'd say plain (laughs) okay mangoes or pineapples um mangoes yeah okay yeah can we ask that because of the island thing you know yeah yeah Yeah. pineapples are too acidic for me oh okay Mm. okay i do love mangoes too okay free time or sleep is that a choice (laughs) sleep because without sleep eventually free time won't mean anything i think sleep's like the best. i I do like sleep i think there's a lot of people oh you only need six hours and like that kind of macho stuff isn't it I, I like to get a good seven or eight hours a night yeah and oh, enjoy it. I, don't you feel it's kind of sleep's underrated i think sleep needs to come back we need to oh, yes. it does it does need to come back we need to put it front and center and say folks it's okay to sleep eight hours a night <laughs> it's not, okay. yeah. free time is nothing if you don't sleep Exactly. Whoever invented that alarm clock, it's like these two things they put together, you know, like time and alarm, wake up. Yeah. That's yeah. probably Thomas Edison or one of those guys invented that. <laughs> We've got a lot to answer for. 
Okay. Sleep under the stars or in a five-star hotel. Hmm. Under the stars, yeah. Uh, Direct few times. Yeah, we knew that answer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I do like buffets in a five-star hotel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, maybe you could do both. You could go back and yeah, have your Yeah, you could go back and forth. Yeah, do that. But the other thing is about sleeping under the stars. If you do that, like especially on a beach, you're going to get eaten alive. I know. Yeah. We have to be careful. That's, have some netting. That's the reality, isn't it? You're yeah. Get bitten. And yeah. It's not as romantic as it sounds. But I, the, I mean, if you can actually see the stars, it's phenomenal. It's amazing. Yeah. You get to one of these islands where it's like, I know you maybe get it in like Utah and places like that, Bryce Canyon mm-hmm. in the US, but it's quite rare to actually yeah. see the stars. As a kid, I remember actually seeing the Milky Way in my parents' backyard. Yeah. You don't see that anymore. But a lot of light pollution. Colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Dine al fresco or indoors? Al fresco. Mm-hmm. every time yeah 100% I'm not a fan of air conditioning people think yeah. I'm weird because you know I live in Singapore everything's uh-huh. like 18c which is about I don't know what's that in old money about 55 60 Fahrenheit everything's I don't, yeah. I was cool. gonna say I don't even know. know I just open the windows people think I'm weird because oh, I, I like draft coming in right oh Me yeah too. I would yeah. love that I, would I don't love like that air conditioning a whole lot either Really, I would, love, we, I would love to be able to do that. Should we put that like in room 90. 101 with the alarm clock, air conditioning? <laughs> yeah. These sort of who invented that thing? Like, I don't know. We need a fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but All it's right, in the so. 90s here right well, now. North so we have right. Yeah, but you yeah. adapt to it, right? Don't you feel like if you live with air conditioning, you get a soft? I mean, I've got it on now. <laughs> That's but true. You can't, you I mean, it's, it's like 96 here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to have it. But yeah, yeah outdoors, you know, when I live in Spain, here's one thing I observed for your listeners to think on. But I lived in Spain for about three years, two and a half, three years. And not once did I see one person and they love their coffee in Spain. Like the Italians, they love coffee. I didn't see one person walking and drinking a coffee. Wow. Like, you know, in the US or UK, walking around with your Starbucks. It's yeah. Like, oh. yeah. On the phone, you know, one of those big brick phones and a stuff. Yeah. 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 Something out of Wall Street, right? You know, one of the yeah. movie. Right. Yeah. I never once saw it, and it really made me think. Right. Yeah. 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 There's a word actually in Spanish called sobremesa, which doesn't have any direct translation. It means around the table. So, mm. you know, when they finish eating lunch, you know, for us, lunch was always grab something or power lunch or if you're lucky to have lunch but for the spanish it was sit talk have your lunch and enjoy so that's an hour and once you've done your lunch then it's coffee (laughs) and sit with your friends you talk about stress there's no stress there i didn't see any road rage didn't see people shouting in public just sitting and sitting and having a coffee and talk actually talking not looking at their phones yeah. yeah. And not walking with this thing in their hand. I thought, wow. Yeah. We've got a lot of things that we look at these people and think they're backward. No, we're yeah. backward. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. No, yeah. Not at all. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yes. How do you recharge socially or alone? This is recharging for me. Mm. Uh, these conversations. Mm. Yeah, gotcha. I think this is a great way to, I feel inspired. Oh, talking to you guys. Tired. Yeah. This, this feels like a recharge to me too. It does me it, too. It does, indeed. 
Yeah, there's some people you talk to and they're net negative, right? And yeah. <laughs> net positive conversations you feel. Yeah. It's like with yeah. clients, isn't it, in work? You're mm -hmm. going to have clients who, yeah, I want to talk to that person. Or clients are like, <sighs> It's draining. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's some people, it's just, it's like, there's some people you talk to and you hit that off button, you're like, Oh, <laughs> like, okay, let me get my mouth together because I've been like, yeah. it's know? too early for the wine. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So it, that's what it's about, isn't it? You know, really like bring this full circle back to why become an entrepreneur is because really you can choose. And if you do it properly, you can choose to hang around with more of those people than the other people. Yeah. Because if you're employed, you get less choice. You get kind of thrown together. It's like a family. You don't choose yeah. your family. You have to mm -hmm. kind of tolerate them most of the time. Same as working in an office. But if you start your own business, you can create your own and you can surround yourself with the right people. And mm -hmm. that then becomes recharging because if you're with a good team and you'll have, you know, maybe I don't want that client. Maybe I don't want that business. Maybe I don't want to do that. Yeah. And even get rid of clients that are negative for you, right? Fire your yeah. clients as well. Yeah. I advise people to do that. Yeah. They can have a yeah. whole different outlook. You know, you're surrounded by people. It's not always going to be perfect. Yeah. But the more you can surround yourself with those people, the more you're going to enjoy it. Okay. Number nine, would you prefer an in-person meeting or virtual? In-person, I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think we all prefer it, don't we? Yeah. Unless, unless it's networking events. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather the ground opened up and I I fell into it than that. So, Graham, what do you do? <laughs> I can't stand those. I hate them. People say I'm extroverted, but I'm actually an introvert who's just kind of discovered my mm. extrovert channel. I think everybody is, aren't they? You know that. I found that COVID and the whole pandemic, I always thought I was extroverted, but there's something that happened. I either discovered how much of an introvert I am or mm. that something happened where I was just like, wow, I really like, I don't know. I just, I really like what this is. I like having my own terms of when I can, mm. or maybe I learned how to have better boundaries with when I can see people and when I can't, I don't know. Something happened. There was a shift. Now, mm. I've always been more of an introvert, definitely. Like, I need my alone time, you know, mm. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but yeah. she did seem like a natural extrovert. But the networking events, 100%. If I never have another networking mm. event the rest of my life, I will be fine with that. Never. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Never. Surprised. I'll put so a sticker on. Love Fest <laughs> Fall 22 is off, <laughs> folks. Tell your friend at the party. <laughs> Ain't happening. We were going to do it virtually. Yeah, I think the idea of boundaries is what it's about, isn't it? It's about control. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the great thing about what's happened with the pandemic and a lot of people working online now is we can choose a lot more. But then yeah. obviously it's affected other people another way that they don't get to choose. It's kind of in their face all the time now. But that's it. It's like you, you have to exercise choices every time. You have to put boundaries up, say no more. At the end of the day, all of this is about saying yeah. no more. We, yeah. We're conditioned in a society to say yes to things, yes to progress, yes to growth, yes to money, yes to jobs, yes to clients, yes to everything. But we've got to learn to say no because happiness lies on the other side of no, right? Because yeah. Saying no to doing that meeting or saying no to going to that networking event or saying no to 
getting on that call, whatever it may yeah. be, that yeah. is exercising control, the boundaries well, that you talk about. And that's what and makes you, us happy. Yeah, you have, and we've talked about boundaries before, but it's a struggle I have had for a long time. But you learned that not only are you happier with yourself, but the people that you set the boundaries with, you're happier with them because you ended up having all this resentment towards them because it was your issue. Like you're the one who didn't set the boundaries, you know? Mm. Yeah. You're yeah. just happier all around when you say no and you put them there and then everyone is, everyone's happier. We both yeah. have, you know a lot yeah. better in the last couple of years. Yeah. That's such well, a great lesson though, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to dig a little bit deeper with this wrap up question. Mm. Ketchup or mustard? <laughs> Ketchup you, or mustard. Uh, don't have to be brand specific either. <laughs> Damn. Product <laughs> placement. <laughs> I, it's always difficult for me to do A or B. I do like mustard. I like spice. Spicy mm-hmm. ketchup. Uh-huh. Is that the wrong answer? Do you mix, <laughs> do you mix them? No. That oh. never works out. Okay, I mix them. Really? Yeah. That's kind of like mixing, you know, like some things mixing it with chocolate never works, isn't it? They kind of, for oh, example, yeah. chocolate and coffee hmm, doesn't work. I do really love chocolate and coffee, but mixing them together never works for me. Oh, so those kind of things. I don't know. I like a, <laughs> oh, really? a mocha. A mocha? Yeah. I love a, a mocha. mocha. Yeah, but that's kind of, a mocha is coffee with a hint of chocolate, right? Well, that's true. Yeah, that's it's true. not trying to be anything else. That's it. No. It knows its boundaries. It said, look, okay, <laughs> chocolate, you just stay back there. We're going to be a coffee here. Nothing else. All right. And it is still all liquid form. There's nothing solid about it. That's, That's right. Yeah, it's solid. set out. <laughs> That's and true. A mocha is liquid. That's yeah. true. That's yeah. true. Okay. Definitely well, boundaries. the question we ask everyone, and this is the important question, is mm. what does a life well lived mean to you? Yeah. What does a life well lived mean to you? I think life is an adventure and to accept it as an adventure with all the risks, downsides and the upsides, as long as it was a life that you felt was one that was rewarding. I think at the end of the day, if it makes you happy, then that's a life well lived. And happiness really isn't something that's achieved. Happiness is not state or something that you get, you know, happiness, the really uh, life well lived is being happy. There's nothing clever about being unhappy. I think that we have to put that out there. You know, all those people that are unhappy, that, there's no medal for it. You're not going to get rewarded for it. Mm. It's wasted. It's a life not well lived. So happiness is really what it's about. Love, if you dare say, but that's ultimately what it is, isn't it? Being with people you love, doing what you love, that makes me, you, us, all of us, me, happy. If I could say one thing, it's this, is that, you know, really a life well lived is one in pursuit of happiness. Mm. That's what it is. And what I've learned personally is that all these things, all these experiments in living and happiness, I discovered that it wasn't all these things I thought would make me happy. Right. Those are what I thought would make other people happy about me, but that didn't work, right? And actually happiness is doing more of what makes you happy. It's simple as that. Mm. So for example, if your definition of happiness is riding a bike, like me, for example, then design a life where you get to, you know, get to ride a bike more. That sounds so crazy and so simple, but that's an adventure worth taking for a life, isn't it? How do I do this more? You know, for me, it's like, okay, it will come up to like 10 o'clock. I'll get on my bike and go out for a ride for an hour. 
right? And whilst other people are working, that makes me really happy. That keeps me sane. I enjoy it. I enjoy the challenge and the exercise. So how can you have that kind of lifestyle? How can you build around that? And many, many things like, for example, how do I design a business where I'm not having to be on 24-7? How do I not work for somebody else? How can I live in a place where I can ride a bike? And if that makes you happy, then that is happiness. And your definition of happiness and my definition of happiness are not the same. And that's absolutely fine. But the point mm -hmm. is, is that design a life where you get to do more of that is really what success is. That's a life well lived. And don't let mm. anybody else tell you otherwise. Yeah, I love that. I love him. One of my favorites. Yeah, Wonderful. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And you're talking to me specifically when you're, when you're talking bikes because I love bikes. Yeah. Oh, you're okay. And it comes an age of a man's life where <laughs> he doesn't doesn't have enough bikes either. <laughs> <laughs> well, Graham, how can our listeners find you, purchase your book, and get in touch with you if they would like to? Yeah, so my website is the best jumping off point. So if you go to Graham D. Brown, so grahamdbrown.com, without the D, it's a different experience. It's the wallpaper website. Graham Brown is a wallpaper company. <laughs> oh, they got okay. it before me, guys. I'm Graham D, D for David Brown. Okay. And all my stuff's there, my writing, my businesses. So if you want to find out more, that's okay. a good place to start. And feel free to ping me. Any questions, I'm happy to chat with people, anybody on the journey, any point, whether they're looking out the office window yeah. or they're bodyboarding around Indonesia. Oh. You know, this is what it's about. This is what makes me happy is talking to other people. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to put all of that in the show notes. And I got to say, this has been wonderful. I have loved every second of this. And we really appreciate you hanging with us today. Oh, yeah. I think I could relate to I found a lot of these stuff just more relatable than and we've had all good podcasts, but this just so many relatable things, what you're saying for us and what we're trying to do. And yeah, thank you yeah, so much for you. being here. Thank you. And thank you for doing this, like trying to do it. Yeah. You know, I think that's it. You know, it's taking the risk and building a platform, putting yourselves out there and being vulnerable and inviting other people to share that story. Oh. That's fun, but it's also what it's all about, isn't it? And, yeah. I think that you've done that when many, many people kind of looked at it and thought, oh, what if, but you're actually doing it and in well, that process. So, so thank much. you for doing it. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. That's, that's inspiring to hear that from you. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I feel like every time we have one of these Spark in Our Lives episodes, we are always like, oh my gosh, that was such a great conversation. But this one was just, it was really special. Right. Well, I th yeah, I think both of us agreed. It really just hit on some really strong points with us. He's just a really engaging guy and somebody I found really relatable as well. Yeah. And one of the things that you said was you felt like we had somebody over to our house. You <laughs> yeah. felt like we had somebody over. Yeah. I don't know if I've really felt that yet, but it felt, yeah. it felt like you were sending them off and like we'd had a house guest. <laughs> Yeah. With leftovers. Yeah. And I don't know if we've talked about this during the episode, but, you know, I know we talked about he was in Singapore, but it was, we recorded this at 7 p.m. our time. It was 7 a.m. his time. So it was very different timing. We're so grateful that he gave us his time at 7 a.m. and, you know, 7 in the morning. But it was just for us to be on very different time zones 
we just really connected really well. And that doesn't always happen. No, it doesn't. Because one person's waking up and the others are winding down for mm -hmm. the end of their long day. So it's kind of a, an odd mix, but it seemed to work out really good, didn't it? It did. It did. But we had such synergy, I think, just with our lifestyles, our beliefs. But I think sometimes, and we've talked about this a little bit since, that we have, you know, with the lifestyle that we have and our beliefs, sometimes you can... And not that it's a discipline at all, but sometimes you sort of need reminders of what's important. And, you know, I can speak for myself that I've felt more stressed lately and sort of feel pressure of certain things. And I can say, oh my gosh, I can feel that, you know, things are starting to pile up and clutter a little bit more. And I just need a little bit of a purging and I can allow things to kind of come in. And I realized why am I allowing these things to come in to the house? Why am I allowing these things to matter when they don't, you know, and having a conversation with Graham about not just the material things, but allowing these other things to be a reminder that they don't matter so much. It was just another conversation that was great timing. It was, it was a little reboot for us to get back to some of our, the fundamentals that we set out in the beginning with Arner Adventure. So that was, yeah, a nice little reboot. And it was great to have him in the house, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually inspired us to declutter again. You know, we were in a no buy year last year and this year we have, of course not, but it's not like we're buying things, but we just are not saying no as much, you know? Yeah, that's and, right. And we've allowed some things to come in. So we're, he inspired us to sort of come up with a plan to declutter and yeah, it made me reevaluate that big topic of the sort of the label of minimalist. You know, why are we saying we're minimalist when that's just, I don't know, like it's just our lifestyle. We just don't live with a bunch of crap. And why does that, why do we need to say that we're minimalist? You know? We're not. I mean, it's just I mean, what <laughs> right. Yeah, we we went through that with him, yeah. I, I think. And it seems like he had an interesting take on it, and then it got us thinking yeah mm -hmm. but it's just another label like we, yeah. we need labels yeah for some reason but we should just say hey we're people that just don't buy as much things as other people maybe but yeah yeah you don't really need the label another big takeaway that we really enjoyed was Graham saying how you know when you have conversations with people about your lifestyle and not that we get we really don't get a lot of negative conversations or negative responses about our lifestyle. But when we do that, that's really about people maybe being scared of maybe taking that step or wishing that they could take that step. Because most people who, if it's not for them, they wouldn't poop all over it, you know? Yeah. They might say, well, that's interesting. That's interesting to me. Someone's living your lifestyle, but if they're absolutely kind of scared they might come at you with a negative reaction because they know themselves they couldn't do something like that you know yeah or yeah. they'd be scared to do something like we don't yeah and it's also made me research the cost of living on certain islands so <laughs> we need you might be thinking that maybe right might be having a plan but anyway yeah that's <laughs> well listen if this episode resonated with you at all please share it with a friend if you'd like to know more about graham his book fire your boss, sell your car, travel the world, a guide to living location independent. We're going to have all of that information for you in the show notes. 
As always, you can find us at arneradventures.com on Instagram at arneradventures, also linked in the show notes. So until next time, enjoy the journey that you're on. We're wishing you lots of adventures. Bye. Bye. Ha, 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 ha.